Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. It is crazy to say, but folks, we're less than 15 days away from the kickoff of the 2021 ATP and WTA campaigns. And it was less than six weeks ago that the 2020 seasons came to a close. Of course, we all know there's still ITF action going on this week. So, of course, there really isn't any offseason in professional tennis. Nevertheless, before we here at Cracked Rackets turn our attention fully to the 2021 seasons, we have one last exercise we want to do to put a bow on 2020 to wrap up. Up the fantastic ATP and WTA action we saw this season, and that's to host some award show to tell the story of 2020. When we look back on this season, of course, all of us going to remember that it played it was played during a pandemic, and we'll all remember the influence of that pandemic, what it meant for so many players who unfortunately we weren't able to see on court this season, what it was like to uh, have to witness tennis played in a bubble, how that bubble impacted the action we saw on court. Uh, but of course, within that action were some phenomenal performances, some breakthrough moments, some you know trends we saw, some shifts occur in both the men's and women's game that are certainly uh, going to impact what we see happen on the court in 2021. And we have two fantastic guests uh, to break down these WTA and ATP awards show. And of course, on today's podcast, because chivalry is not dead because my parents raised me well, we're going to start with the 2020 WTA award show. And there is no better guest, no better person to give out awards for the WTA 2020 season than the person we have joining us today. She's a WTA insider, senior writer for the WTA, and someone we have been chasing to get on this podcast since its inception in 2017. Of course, I'm talking about Courtney Nguyen, who joins the show to talk about awards such as Player of the Year, and of course, there were so many outstanding players, right? Sophia Kennan, Iga Sviantek, Victoria Azarenka, all out, Simona Halep, all outstanding Naomi Osaka. Uh, we make the case for for our respective award recipients. We talk about the newcomer of the year, most improved. Uh, and then, of course, I have to get creative. I ask Courtney for her thoughts on my make-believe awards. I give her a bunch of nominee, right? Because I'm like, hey, Courtney, give me your Ben Stiller Award for Consistent Underrated Excellence, which is something we discuss on this program. She'd be like, I don't really know what you're looking for, Alex. And so, you know, I name the categories, give her some nominees. She ends up telling me who she thinks can can and should win the award. We have so much fun. It was well worth the wait to finally get Courtney on the show. I know this is going to be a podcast you all enjoy, and obviously it's a long one. You look in your podcast feed, I think we go over an hour and a half. I will also point out, because it was so long, I started to have audio difficulties midway through. An internet connection went out. I don't know if it was on my side, Courtney's side, but you're going to be hearing for my audio at least the Zoom audio. Now, the quality is pretty good, but in case it's not up to our usual standards, just wanted to give all of you listeners a heads up. Of course, Courtney, the professional she always is, her audio uh, was flawless. And so uh, we really are, I think all of you listeners really going to enjoy this podcast. So without further ado, let's get to our GSP 2020 WTA award show with the one and only WTA insider, Courtney Nguyen. We're recording, um, and now let me hit record on my audio. Here we go. Three, two, one, record. 
Joining us on the podcast today is a guest I have been chasing for far too long. And in honor of this occasion, this podcast finally happening, I thought I'd go back to my roots, write a little bit of a poem to introduce today's guest. With that in mind, apologize for the cheesiness, but here we go. In terms of inside information, there exists no better provider. In fact, that's the reason they call our guest today the perennial WTA insider. Will she respond to your emails or DMs? No, maybe not. But trying pulling any mischief on tennis Twitter and she'll quickly sniff out your plot. If you've listened to her on NCR, you'll know she's all facts, no spin. And that is why, ladies and gentlemen, we are thrilled to be joined by Courtney Nguyen. Courtney, welcome to the show. Hey, great shot. It is a pleasure to finally have you. How are you holding up? I'm doing well now that I've heard this spectacular poem that both was incredibly flattering and also dragged me from here and back. And I respect that because that is absolutely my energy and my mood. So um, I'm happy to be here, Alex, as we were saying before the the pod. I appreciate you being patient and forgiving of my uh, repeated attempts to dodge uh, this very moment. But uh, you finally wore me down. And um, I just like Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic at the Australian Open, I've pulled up a chair. I've settled up and uh, cramping a little bit, but we're going to get through it. We're going to yes. get through it. Well, in the spirit, it's Hanukkah season for me, you know, Christmas season for so many, the holiday season, as my parents would attest to, I wear them down as well. So, you know, that's just, I suppose, one it's of the talents. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. I'm the, uh, I'm trying to think of the pro equivalent. I'm the Sasha Bajin in that you don't think you want me to work for you, but then in the end, I'm going to work for you for a little bit and it'll be beneficial to both of us. But yes, of course, it is great to have you on the show. Um, you know, it's great to get the better half of NCR as well. I'm sick of being stuck with that, you know, that Ben Roethlisberger. You fellow. and me both, man. I didn't know I was signing up for like, you know, six, seven, eight years of that. But <laughs> uh, but we continue on. He puts up with my nonsense. I put up with a heck of a lot of his. And, um, and yeah, somehow that odd coupling seems to work out. So... But uh, but but thanks to him, that's how I came uh, across you, and you that's have been an incredible, um, you know, guest on NCR, and I've appreciated it. And I've really, I really, especially at the U.S. Open, enjoyed uh, your episodes with Ben. Um, uh, just the knowledge and the enthusiasm, I I appreciate it. I'm I'm all here for it. So. Okay. Fire away, man. I appreciate you saying that. No, I mean, the only reason I agreed to go on NCR was to shamelessly plug the fact that I wanted to get you on this podcast. I was like, <laughs> let's be very clear, Ben. I'm here for a reason. There's a specific purpose. It's not because I like you. It's not because I want to talk about tennis. I talk about tennis enough, but I just want to get Courtney's attention. And no, I, you know, sincerely, your coverage of the women's game, you talk about it six, seven years. I've mentioned this to Ben before. I think this is the first time I'll say this to you. You know, I can distinctly remember 2013 uh, winter. 2014 January February I'm a freshman in college and I lived on north campus at Michigan which means it's a 15 minute bus ride between there and central campus and what am I doing on that bus ride more often than not I was listening to NCR or following your tweets Ben's tweets Parse's tweets whomever it was at the time just trying to learn anything I can about the tennis world and I know I speak for a lot of us fans when I say you know the insight we learn into the women's game seriously the perennial WTA insider all of that possible because of your immense work work. So thank you so much for that. But the flattery stops there. You know, that, that's where, <laughs> it was so uncomfortable. Yeah, let's, say, let's get out of bring that. All that. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. All right. Take let's get into off, this buddy. stuff. I think it's good then that you like there's an award in here. That's no, no drama. No, 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 no drama. Uh, that's an award coming on later on. That's a that's Tremendous. a better theme for later on. But of course, the reason I wanted to have you today, it is 
is it there ever a tennis offseason? Not really, but I suppose this is sort of offseason time, time for us to reflect on what we learned in 2020, look, uh, take that information and use it to try and you know guess what's going to happen in 2021. And of course, there was so much great action in 2020. It was a condensed season, but certainly it was still a really fun one. So many different players going on two, three-week runs throughout the course of the year. It made filling out an award ballot really difficult for the WTA season. So that's what I want to do on today's show talk a little bit about my award ballot bring in your thoughts for the awards as well run through some make-believe categories get just give our takeaways again on the biggest stories the best players the biggest moments of the 2020 season that sound good to you that sounds good to me all right well then with that in mind Westoff, give me that award show sound effect please um all right and of course, all sound effects coming in post-production. You're an expert. You know all of this. But leave that in. I got stuff. Uh, hopefully, you did something. Cre- I'm imagining like a da 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 or you know some sort of something fun. Of course, but again, this WTA season, uh, it's such an it was such an interesting one because we're in such an interesting time period, and of course. To, you know some of the biggest storylines for casual tennis fans in the women's game. Will Serena uh, add another Grand Slam to her resume? Of course, she made back-to-back Wimbledon U.S. Open finals 2018-2019. But outside of that storyline, unequivocally, the biggest story in women's tennis has been the generational shift that's unfolded, particularly at the Grand Slams. And whether it's you know Bianca Andreescu, Naomi Osaka, Sofia Kennan, Iga Swiatek, Yelena Ostapenko, who so many people seem to forget, is also so right in that age range still has plenty of time left in her pro career more and more of these young players continue to break through and i think you know that's what made determining a player of the year this season so difficult and that's the award i want to start with because when you look at some of the performances we had there were so many great performances Shiantek, probably her run through the french open that was the storyline of the clay court season of course the first two months of the season it was all sophia kennan all the time and then you know in the midst of that you had a 23 and 3 Simona Halep who was ridiculous this year and we'll get to her she's got her own award category coming up we've got her you know just you know Elise Mertens who was in my opinion week in week out maybe the most consistent player on tour there's a lot of different directions you could go for WTA player of the year which way did you lean I don't do you actually get to fill out an award ballot are you a voter how does it work exactly That's a very good question. I don't do it out of my own personal principle because I just, I don't vote fan base. You know what I mean? Like it would be unfair to the players for me to kind of say and editorialize um, as a WTA employee um, and editorial person, like this person was the best player of the year. Like, you know, I can put forth statistics. I can make arguments that are empirical, but I don't like using the subjective too much um, with insiders. So no, I don't vote. I probably can but but I don't. Um, but it's it, I, I think it's a fascinating discussion. I think that every time, even outside of this year, but usually, you know, when we talk about player of the year, it's almost the same as like the whole goat discussion on the men's side, right? Like it's such who you vote for and how you even conceptualize the award reflects so much about you as a tennis fan and what you value. Um, and, you know, do you think that a player having two great weeks astounding weeks two of the best week the two best weeks of the well you can say osaka uh maybe at the u.s open but you t- talk about shviantek and what she did at roland garros unbelievable uh is it unfair though to say that a 23 and 3 simona Halep, who brought it every single day tour on the tour level showed up played big won huge titles made a slam semi 
is that lesser than a two-week performance at a Grand Slam? These are the questions that I always pose to people almost as like, you know, kind of like speed dating questions. Like, like, how do you see the world? How do you see the tennis world? Because if you see it certain way, we're not going to jive. I'm going to get mad all the time. And so for me, you know, especially even before I worked for the tour, um, and maybe this is what led me to the tour. I really put a lot of value on tour success. I think that, and we're talking WTA tour outside of the slam. I think the slam um, and of the tour, they are the history makers. They are the legacy makers. But when it comes to the lifeblood of professional sports on the men's and women's side, it is the ATP and WTA. And showing up and performing consistently is so important. It's what builds the sport, grows the sport, keeps fans engaged. So showing up for two weeks and disappearing for the other, you know, 50 is not necessarily quote unquote good for the sport in my opinion. Um, that's not a knock on anybody. It's just a, con a conceptual thing. So for me, I, I, like to, I like to kind of balance it out. And in that way, for me, it was Sophia Kennan. I think that there was really no way around it, not just because, you know, obviously one Grand Slam title and the manner in which she won it at the Australian Open, but also, again, making a final at the French Open. And, you know, making your second one is a heck of a lot harder sometimes than winning the first. Um, so you have to tip your cap there. But she also won Lyon. You know, and she also just, you know, was able to, she didn't have the most consistent season outside of the slams, but I really felt bad for her that, especially when Indian Wells was canceled in Miami, because I was like, oh man, Sonia's not going to get to show America what Sonia can do. And, and that I felt was really important. I felt like she was really building the momentum to get to that place. So I think that she was definitely in that discussion. I think Osaka obviously was definitely in that discussion, both in her performance in not just everybody talks about the summer, but you know, she made the 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 final in Brisbane or semifinal in Brisbane, played a great match against Pliskova. Um, and then obviously final in Cincinnati wins the US Open. Um, and then also just what her off court impact uh and ability to raise um the uh, well, to put to shine the spotlight on tennis during a time when maybe the spotlight was not going to be on tennis, at least in the states, so that's pretty massive. And then I think Callup is probably like my number third in the discussion of just consistency. People forget she made the AO semi. Yeah. Uh, you know, five and six to Muguruza was right yeah, there. Right there, so tight, so tight. Um, and um, and yeah, who knows how that match turns out? You know, uh, in a final. So. And she runs, she runs up against the absolute, you know, buzzsaw, uh, the Polish buzzsaw in Paris uh, when she was the overwhelming favorite. Yeah. But um, so those were, those were my three, that, those were my, my, uh, my pyramid of greatness in, of 2020 for the WTA side. Mm -hmm. you, uh, do you remember when there was, you know, the Dark Knight trailer came out, obviously then Heath Ledger died. And so there was a long delay for the movie coming out. And it was just like, oh, this trailer's so good. Is it going to be worth the wait? Like, who knows? And then you go and see the movie and it was worth the wait. One answer in this podcast was worth the wait. I can tell you that right <laughs> away. You're right. Just the way, uh, and it, it is speed dating. And by the way, I think I tried this on my last hinge date and it didn't go particularly well. <laughs> thus, I'm here for today. But Solid. yeah, look, the to, to uh, everything you just said, I, I completely agree with you. It's not who was the best player award. It was who was, or excuse me, it's not who was yeah, the best player in any given, you know, 
moment, who is the player of the year. And that's a, in tennis in particular, a 45 to 50 week award. It really is. And, you know, the nominees for the WTA player of the year, and I love that compared to the ATP, it's so lame how the ATP does it just, oh, give it to the number one player of the year. When we learned that with ranking systems and points protections that sometimes the rankings aren't the most accurate reflection of the current levels of players. And, you know, this year, the nominees were Vika, Halep, Osaka, uh, I believe, Kenan, Sabalenka, and Sviantek. And I think all six of those players are are credible nominees. I mean, for Sabalenka, I don't remember if she won Dubai or Doha. It was one of them. Uh, so she Doha, was good. Yeah. Yeah, she, yeah, she won Doha at the start of the year. Of course, she wins the two last events to end the season. She beats Elisa Mertens in that final event, uh, who was the wins leader on the season. And kind of a snub here that Mertens wasn't on the shortlist. She would be one of my finalists as well, just because of how good she was week in, week out. But to your point, Sophia Kennan did the best of both worlds, right? I think she finished the year eighth in terms of total wins on tour, you know, uh, or I think maybe tied for seventh with Annette Conteve, the player she were, was behind, uh, all players who were outstanding week in, week out, Own Shabur, Katarina Alexandrova, Elena Rabakina, uh, obviously Merton, Sabalink, and then Podoroska were the other uh, wins leaders. And, you know, Kennan so not only is she right in there with the conversation of wins leaders, but then she had the two big results. She, you know, wins the Australian open. She makes the final of the French open worth noting. And I know this doesn't factor into the WTA part of the equation, but she was also probably the best player during the world team tennis season. And that mattered to tennis fans. And I think she just, when you think of this season from start to finish, who was someone who was always in the conversation, always around uh, simply by the fact that she was in New York and Halep wasn't Kenton probably gets the knock, uh, gets the notch up in that discussion. So yeah, I think this was the correct decision. I think it has to be uh, Sophia Kennan now, you know, in terms of second in that list. Yeah. I, I, see, I would have switched Burton's and Shiantek. Shiantek was outstanding, and we'll get to you know her in a second when we talk about the most improved player. Um, but it's the week in, week out consistency. I just I would have loved to see Mertens on this ballot because I feel like she's she's not going to end up with an award this season, and she deserves something for just the consistency week in, week out. You know, she's the the Seinfeld Award winner. Is it is it going to blow you out of the water? No, but you're going to laugh and you're going to enjoy your thirty minutes of watching the episode. And so, you know, for Lisa Mertens, I just think she deserves some sort of recognition. Uh, but ultimately, because Kennan was so good at the biggest events as well as week in, week out, and I think she won an indoor event. In February as well, right? Yeah, uh, Leon. Yeah, yeah, she won in Leon. I, I, I do think that you know they got this award correct. Yeah, I, you know, every once in a while the media gets it right. Just kidding, media. <laughs> um, but um, it is a media voted award. But um, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think that Elisa Mertens, she. I put her in the category of like her and Contivate mm-hmm. and obviously Svitolina also, although Svitolina has, has, has tailed off her schedule a little bit um, as she's kind of been a perennial top 10 player, but those are two. And, and honestly, Pliskova mm-hmm. of just, um, you know, put on the hard hat, pack four sandwiches in the middle, uh, the middle uh, lunch pail and go to work. And, and they just go to work. They, they, it's no nonsense. They play, a bunch of events, they get deep. And I think Contivate had uh, quietly a really, really strong season as well. Um, but Meritons was just in there all the time. And I really loved, especially when she came out of um, out of the, the pandemic, and, and, and or not out of the pandemic, but out of the shutdown, mm-hmm. um, 
she was a, a, a different player. She and her coach, Robbie, had, had worked on some, some stuff. She'd be started to play a little bit more aggressively, more consistently, as opposed to like in spurts. So I love that you also saw that it wasn't just that she was there, you know, like everybody else was sucking and she was getting these wins or whatever, but she had, she had really worked on her game and, and she has the ability to switch that up in her game if she focuses on it. And she was greatly rewarded. So I like your shout out that, that there's a little bit of a snub there, like, you know, put some respect on her name, uh, Elisa Mertens, because she was there in week in, week out, competing hard and getting lots and lots of wins. Seinfeld <clears throat> clearly dates me in terms of the TV I watch. You could also call it the Price is Right Award winner, which is also on every day, and it's good for an hour. And, you know, I'm Bob Barker telling you to help control the pet population, have your pet spayed or neutered. Goodbye, everybody. Um, and I, whichever award, what, what do you prefer? The Seinfeld Award, the Price is Right Award? What are we calling it for Mertens? Let, let's let's go with the Price is Right Award. I like I it. like uh, that. Yeah, I like for, just like it's on, it's comforting, it's there, it delivers, and – you know, it's not going to always blow your socks off, but it's just, you know, it, I don't know. There is kind of a, uh, a, uh, a balance that you get when you see Elise Mertens in a draw. Mm -hmm. No. And in that Vika Azarenka guess, she went over on the price. And so she busted right away. And so is the one in one result. There it is. That's a perfect comparison. I agree. Um, yeah. All right. She is our award winner there. I do want to stick with the top of the game quickly because there are some players who deserve shout outs for their performances for things they did both on and off the court that aren't going to get recognized, unfortunately, by player of the year. Uh, let's quickly do one that has, I mean, she was outstanding on the court, 16 and two. Her run through New York was so impressive, but I have the, I'm calling it the no, you shut up and listen award. And it goes to Naomi Osaka, who just, uh, again, I, the, the history of women's tennis, and I know I don't need to tell this to you, obviously, but this is for our listeners, the history of women's tennis so entwined with the fights for social equality and for economic justice and so many different you know causes that are advanced and far more important than any result that happens on the tennis court. And Naomi Osaka, I mean, with what, you know, just everything that happened in New York from start to finish, her advocacy for a cause in social justice that does not have many ears turned to them by the typical tennis audience. And yet, they're, they're, they're just, I, it's so impressive. It's so admirable to see a 23-year-old put herself on the global stage, you know, months after she's named the highest grossing individual female athlete in the world's history, you know, she's using that platform for the greatest amount of good. It, I just, I can't think of anything like it. No, I, I can't either. And you know, it, the, the analogy that I think of a little bit is, is Billy um, back in the battle of the sexes and a little bit Venus also with respect to the battle for equal prize money where, you know, Alex, you, I'm sure that you've picked up on this over time, and especially like now that you're in like press rooms and and answering questions, asking players, and getting kind of their vibe. Tennis players on both the men's and women's side love to jump through hoops to negate pressure. Novak Djokovic doesn't lose a match, and you're sitting there being like, "You can't lose." I'm like, well, like, hold on. I know the guy across <laughs> the net is the qualifier ranked 146, but let's be, you know. And it's like, come on, man. Like, so everybody does it. And here's a player who straight up says after her first match in, in New York, I have seven masks. Mm -hmm. I got to win seven matches yeah. to win this thing. And very similar to what Billy said back with in the whole reason why Billy played the battle of the sexes, obviously um, against 
Bobby Riggs. Um, Bobby Riggs had beaten Margaret Court in what was uh, before that in what was termed the, the the Mother's Day Massacre. And Billy said, look, I got to go win this match because if I don't win this match, they will never listen to us. They will never see us the same way. But Billy also always knew, even when she was like trying to become the first female athlete to make $100,000 in prize money, all of these little milestones, if I can talk all I want, but if I don't win, they don't listen. The only reason they listen to me is because I win. And I feel, and Naomi, I think, has explicitly said something very similar throughout her march in New York, that she knew she had to win. It, it, even if she loses the semifinal, even if she loses the final, then it becomes, ha ha, you know, it's, 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 it's like, look at you. Oh, try to use your platform. Ha ha, loser. Because that's how, that's how the world works these days, right? So for her to invite that and to invite that, that pressure and expectation to have to go through that entire fortnight and after every match, not just on the court via her ESPN interview, but also in her press conference afterwards, answer very heavy questions. We weren't asking her hey, what are you watching on Netflix these days? You know, I mean, like, you know, how are you spending your quarantine? She was being asked about, you know, Trayvon Martin, about Breonna Taylor, about George Floyd, about the protests, about being Black, about her experience in, the, in, in America, while she's trying to play a slam under pandemic protocols. <laughs> I just, I don't know if, I don't know if people really understand what that kid pulled off. Yeah, over I, over those two three weeks, not just there, but in Cincinnati as well. I I couldn't agree with you more, and it was just it, there's no fear in anything Naomi Osaka does, and I say this lovingly to Naomi, and I know you know her far better than I do. But your first impression of her in the press room, you think, oh, this girl's a little bit awkward. Like maybe this girl has been shielded, like so many tennis players who spend their lives in a tennis bubble. If you grew up in it, you know some. You know, tennis players can be a little bit weird because you are shielded because it is just you on the court competing, and you're trying to demand so much of yourself, and so you start talking to yourself, you start doing all of these different things, and yet. Naomi Osaka has just so dearly embraced being herself. And you talk about it, whether it's a George Floyd, whether it's a Mata Aubrey, you know, the seven different names for each different mask, whether it's the fact, and this is something so stupid, only, you know, we're really scratching for stories here. The fact, uh, and I forget the name of her boyfriend, but he comes and Corday, know, he's yeah. celebrating, yeah, in her player box and, or just the photos after the match. And if you are someone my age, uh, with all due respect, not, not to say you don't feel this way as well, Courtney, not to say you aren't my age also, because you're not a day over 25. Um, but bless you. <laughs> thank you. Um, but that is to say, she's just embraced being herself. It doesn't matter what the other people say. She's like, look at how much money I made last year. You think I'm having any problems being me? I'm pretty sure being me has turned out just fine. And for her to embrace that at such a young age, it just bodes so well for the future of the sport, which as you mentioned, has, you know, from Billie Jean King. And by the way, a humble brag that you can just drop the Billy reference and be like, yeah, you know, talking to Billy the other day. <laughs> um, you know, someday I, I hope don't to talk to Billy that often. <laughs> I can be quite honest, but when she has graced me with her presence, it has been—it's yes. like you know—it's like seeing the Pope. It's, yeah. it's just you know, <laughs> exactly. you just sit there and you're just reveling in it. But no, you make a great point, and I think that the other, the last point I'll make about about Naomi in in that context is just you know, it's so easy when you talk to her, and I've uh, you know I fall into this trap still to this day of thinking that she's fragile. Of thinking that she's weak. Oh, she, 
you know, couldn't hit a ball in the court in the third round against Coco Goff and loses that match. She gets blitzed by Putin of last year at Wimbledon first round and walks out of the press conference in tears. I've seen her choke matches away early on in her career, most famously that one against uh, Madison Keys at the U.S. Open 2013, 14, something like that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so we've seen those moments. She's soft-spoken. She says she's open in terms of how awkward she is. And a lot of times it's a trap. It's, it's that, you know, that, that Mad Max Fury Road mm-hmm. gif, you know, that's bait, you know, yeah. because how, because it, it, it's an easier narrative for us to fall into and it, allow, and it, therefore we fall into this trap of ignoring all the instances where she has shown incredible strength. Mm-hmm. The U.S. Open final against Serena, how the heck she, held, hold, she holds her nerve mm-hmm. in those circumstances, stunning. Right. Um, even, you know, two mat- a match before that, the semifinal against Madison Keys, she saved something like 13 break, 13 of 13 break points against Keys in that semifinal. The, the round of 16 against Sabalenka that year when she was up against it and she just willed herself to win Australian Open against Kvitova, like, you know, had the three match points in the um, second set, failed to close it out. Kvitova takes it and she steals herself in the third. She has shown time and time again that she's a hell of a lot stronger than we give her credit for. And I feel like what she did in, you know, the Western and Southern and then the U.S. Open, um, U.S. Open in particular, was really kind of a culmination of all of that, of us really, you know, last year, China Open, like playing Bianca and, and Ash back to back. And she just was like, I am not losing this match (laughs) like you know like i'm just not i i want to slam before the both of you like i i'm the one like everybody's talking about you but i'm the one like you know there is this you know i always joke about it she there are moments where she plays like a player who grew up on a steady diet of serena williams yeah Mm -hmm. i'm I'm really packaged differently you know no, what I mean? Like, I'm, but I'm it's, really, it's the same thing. Yeah, I'm really excited you said that because the last thing I wanted to add about Naomi Osaka was something about her tennis game that you noticed this year. And look, if if you, again, follow the sport of women's tennis, uh, the thing that has made Serena Williams the greatest women's player in the history of the sport is her serve. It's that her serve hits a realm that has never been hit before, and yep. it was thought to have never been hit since until I watched Naomi at the U.S. Open this year. And just the performance she's ripping off. I think she averaged like an 81% win percentage on her first serve points. And you look at her for the season, she won 74% of the first serve points. She's over 50% on her second serve points for the first time in her career. And, you know, Carousel, her hitting partner, someone we know well here, a guy I get the chance to speak with. And he talks about it in practice. He says this about her all the time. It's just Naomi's as good as she wants to be on any given day. If she's locked in and she has shown this year when she wants to lock in, She's just going to hit a realm that even if you're playing as well as Vika was at the U.S. Open, it doesn't matter because with that serve, she's probably the second player in history to hit the Serena zone where it's just that first serve. When it's landing, you lose. Like, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter how play you, how well you play. You're going to lose to her. Yep. And, and we saw it in the semifinal too against Brady, just how well both of them were serving there. And it just could the serve. It all starts there with Naomi, just like with Serena. And when it's on, it's demoralizing uh, just the way that she can hit it. And as the time, as time goes on, especially if she continues to work with Wim Fissette, her second serve, which, 
you know, a year or two ago was more of a liability and more of a serve that that could be broken. And even she knew it and she would freak out whenever she would miss her first serve and be like, oh, crap. Um, you know, that second serve is going, she's going to, she's learned to protect it better and better over time. So, but, but I agree with you. I mean, there's so much to really enjoy about the kind of Serena, Naomi dynamic of, again, like how openly Naomi is a fan, how openly she says, like, Serena's my tennis mom. Like, if not for Serena, I don't exist. I don't do this. And everything that she knows, all of her success is in a lot of ways to me, like a tribute to Serena. It's like, I always think of it this way. If you say that somebody's your idol, right? Like, oh my God, like, I just want to be just like you. I want to do everything just like you. And then you show up at the US Open final and you play like like, it's kind of insulting to be quite like, you know, maybe yeah. don't say that I'm your idol. <laughs> like, you know, because I, I just inspired that egg that you laid on court. Like, that's embarrassing. But, but it's almost like, you know, she brings it, you know, whether it's that match in Miami or that match at the U.S. Open, um, because this is the ultimate sign of respect, mm-hmm. is that I play hard and I play you hard and I'm that good. And you inspired me to be that good. So I always really, I know that sometimes people pit them up against each other, which they really shouldn't. Um, there's no reason for it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a very, it's very cool. It's very cool to see that flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, look, again, given how 2019 went for Naomi Osaka, 2020 was an unequivocal step forward. It was a step yes. back in the right direction. And I mean, when you have the conversation now, uh, certainly what Bianca Andrescu did in 2019 won't be forgotten anytime soon. But I think Osaka's just, uh, Ash Barty, by the way, what she did in 2019 won't be forgotten soon. But Osaka has put herself in a stratosphere, both through her actions on the court, but in her actions off of it, that she is the player, the, she is, I, you never want to put these on someone's shoulders, but she is the heir apparent to Serena. Her significance to the women's game, uh, the person who can most replicate that from Serena right now is clearly going to be Naomi Osaka. And that's absolutely a storyline heading into 2021. Now, I want to talk about one more thing sort of tangentially related to player of the year. And uh, it's an award. And this is the one I told you beforehand, I think you were going to disagree with the most. I call it the Ben Stiller Award for consistent underrated excellence. And I know that's a mouthful there. You know, again, that's a that's a lot. That's a lot going on in that title. But to me, the Ben Stiller Award for consistent underrated excellence has to go to Simona Halep. And it's just, I mean, Simona Halep quietly, 23-3 and this season. And if you throw out the first week of the year, which, by the way, was a loss to Sabalenka, which, as we learned, definitely appreciated in value over the course of the year, it's that loss. It's a loss in the semifinals of the Australian Open, as you mentioned. And then she's just one of the many people who Iga Swiatek blitzed during the French Open. Of course, in between those events, it was only titles. When she played, she won. You know, she won the event in Rome in the lead up to the French Open. That's why everyone thought it was her slam title to lose. And, you know, I have some stats for you over the since 2014, which is when Simona Halep jumped into the top four for the first time you know she's the only player in the WTA game to have finished every season inside the top four since 2014 she's 302 and 101 in matches since the start of 2014 these numbers coming from tennis abstract shout out to them as always that's a 749 win percentage uh those two numbers 302 wins and that 749 win percentage only Carolina Pliskova who has 318 wins has more than Simona Halep over that time frame 
frame. Of course, uh, Pliskova, a 690 win percentage. So Halep has been more efficient. She also has more titles than Pliskova over that time range, 16 to 15. In terms of that 750 win percentage, only Serena has been better. Serena, by the way, 207 and 35 since 2014. That's nuts like that's that's ridiculous and this is like post prime serena this isn't even the the peak version of serena it's just ridiculous what's that like 35 losses over the last seven years is that what we're saying that's just stupid it's just so stupid sometimes some of these numbers serena has put up it's like why don't we should just do every podcast on serena you can find a new number and do 20 minutes each time um but yeah look Pliskova more wins, but she's done it in more matches. Serena, the only one with a higher win percentage. I think with that, we would all agree with that. I think Serena is also the only one who has more titles than uh, Halep over this time frame. Although I, I didn't do the numbers for Serena directly uh, over that count, but look over this era, the players who that puts Halep above: uh, Muguruza, Kerber, Vika, Sharapova, Wozniacki during this time frame. Now. The argument I, I've had before on this podcast with someone just because I like to instigate is a Sharapova-Halep argument because I just think for Simona Halep, it's, it's just devastating that she only has two Grand Slam titles to her name. And in my opinion, that 2018 Grand Slam final between her and Wozniacki, that's my favorite match. I've ever that's my favorite women's match I've ever watched it's the I was a huge Murray Djokovic rivalry guy that match was that just the women's version of that matchup and the physicality of it the drama of the moment both of these players in this long time pursuit of their first Grand Slam that's a moment I'll never forget and I think if Simona Halep wins that match and she has three Grand Slams now on her resume at three different locations on three different surfaces she would get the respect she deserves she would get the fact that you know she would be considered one of maybe the 10 best players of all time in the women's game. And of course, there are so many greats, but I can only go by what I've watched with my eyes, what the numbers tell me, and both of those things overwhelmingly. She deserves the Ben Stiller Award for underrated consistent excellence or consistent underrated excellence. I butchered the adjectives. The point being, she has been so good for so long, and she was just that good this season. It was just a, you know, it was a funky season. It was a funky season. Yeah, no, I mean, let me, let me, before I answer it, um, and I love the, the title of the award, by the way. Um, my question to you then, Alex, is why is it, what is it about Simona Halep that, that people just can't properly appreciate? Because I agree with you. I think that everybody knows I'm, I'm a big um, believer in Simona Halep, have been since the very beginning, since, you know, especially once she broke out, had that big, what, six title season um, back in 2013, and then just broke into the, the top 10 after that and has never looked back. During a time, you know, the biggest knock, I mean, many knocks, but the biggest knock that has constantly been levied against the WTA the last, you know, six, seven years, like, oh, there's no, there's no dominant force. It's just a freaking free for all. There's no one stepping up and being an alpha. We miss Serena. I get it. I understand where that argument's coming from. But quietly, as you just reeled off all of her stats, that force has been Simona Halep. People just didn't want to recognize it. Now, is it because the losses that she took at the slam level were not just these quiet freak losses but these devastating losses you know third set against Sharapova random ball that gets called in or out I can't remember and she kind of unravels from there Sharapova takes it that was one of the best finals I've seen in a long time the Ostapenko loss obviously incredibly gutting and in a lot of ways was a um watermark on her career or 
watershed moment in her career. I think that a lot of people still think that that is Simona Halep. Yeah, I would have. Yeah, no, sorry to cut you off. No, I would have uh, two responses to that. I think one of them, and it's a numbers thing. Uh, You look at that career win or that win percentage over this time, 750. uh, Having looked at the best five-year runs of so many different players, whether it be Serena, Venus, Salas, you know, on the men's side, Federer, Djokovic, Nadal. Uh, to be considered the elite of the elite seasons, you got to put together a season when you're ripping off 80, 85% win percentage, where Fair. you're playing 16 events, making 11 finals and winning seven titles. And with all due respect to Simona Halep, who, as you mentioned, six titles and six finals in, I believe, 23 events in 2013, uh, she never had that all-time season, right? She never had the year where she ripped off four straight Grand Slam quarterfinals, a couple of semifinals, and a title run in there. Even the years, you know, 2017, 2018, the two years she ends as year number one. In 2017, she lost in the first round of two of the, you know, the two hardcore slams. In 2018, she loses first round of the U.S. Open. And just the big blemishes like that they hurt. And there have certainly been times when Halep will throw a stinker or when one of her opponents, and this gets to part two of the equation, plays that undeniable brand of power tennis, like a Sabalenka, you know, oh, depending on the surface. But if Sabalenka plays her best tennis on any given day, she can beat someone Halep. You know, she did, I suppose, earlier this year because just the big serve, the big forehand, she's got that gear that Simona Halep doesn't have. But I, to your point, I, I agree with you. I, she has been a powerhouse. She has been an exceptional talent. She has been there week in, week out. You know, in each of these seasons, she's playing over 60 matches. She hasn't played fewer than 15 events uh, since the 2010 season, and that excludes this year, which doesn't count. But, you know, she, is, she shows up week in, week out. It's like Dominic Team, but for a longer period of time. Like, she's been doing exactly what Dominic Team has been doing, but for seven years now. And I think that one of the things that, I don't know, I find I find the Simona Halep discourse, as it were, uh, sure. fascinating because a lot of it is, it just is, is, it seems illogical to me on some level because at the same time, how how is it that a Halep who is not Karolina Pliskova, who is not Iga Svantec, who is not, uh, you know, uh, Serena, she is not Petra Kvitova, she doesn't have a singular shot that can bail her out. Every single point she plays has to be a constructed, thought out, grinding point. How is that? It's, it's fascinating to me that that's held against her mm-hmm. because that should, that, should, that should give context to her numbers, right? Because mm-hmm. yes, of course, you know, she can get blown off the court, but then she's never given the credit of like being able to also unwind those players to be able to just completely yeah just with her craft and court craft and and intelligence be able to you know absorb pressure and absorb and 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 beat those power players who should be blowing her off the court but don't because they end up with 40 unforced errors and we call them unforced errors those aren't unforced everybody knows what Simona Hallett can do on a court those are forced errors you're going for too much so that's where I feel like she she is in a different um, piece of the conversation, right? Because even if you compare it to like the teams or, you know, the, the, the guys or everybody's got a weapon, these players that you bring up to kind of compare with her, but she's been able to compile it by virtually breaking serve 50% of the time. Mm-hmm. That's an absurd tennis stat. 
Yeah. No, I was going to say, you, right, like- <laughs> I think her weapon, the go-to would be her movement. I think that is her weapon, her athleticism that she brings to the game. I mean, it's the next wave of tennis player. You are going to see more Simona Halps emerge throughout the WTA Tour, these combinations of shot making and athleticism. You talk about what is the definitive shot is probably the on the run forehand, right? Her ability to rip that ball down the line. When you think Simona Halp, it's sliding outside the alley to hit that ball just beautiful tennis or the way she elevates the ball to buy herself time to get back to the center. And I'm sorry, I had to show you the elevating hand motion. <laughs> Just when I think tennis, I'm a, I'm a visual learner. I always have. It's all good. It's yeah. All good. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, see, it, it's so funny because to everything you said, that's why I love her so much on the court. It's the perfect contrast to all of the players we listed. And, you know, maybe the Wozniacki Halep, maybe that's too much of a grind fest for some. For me, that's right up my alley. And just what you love for Simona Halep is, okay, she sees what you're doing. She's going to adjust her tactics to force you to make that next adjustment. And then it becomes a game of chess. And of course, that's when tennis for some, I think for a lot of fans, is that it's most beautiful. It's when there's problem solving going on on the court. And there's also just the emotion of Simona Halep. She wears her emotion <laughs> she on She brings her you in. How, yeah, yeah, how do you not love that as a tennis fan? It's so charismatic. It's so captivating. It's just, if you have struggled on a tennis court yourself, you're going to watch a Simona Halep. You're going to watch an Andy Murray and be like, yeah, that's me. Like, that's what I do too. I totally relate to them. And that's why I, I've, I agree with you. I've never understood why she's not held in the same conversation. Like I do, I feel like Petra Kvitova is considered a tier above her by, by some, just because we've seen Petra hit that, you know, that top gear where it's just, she's blitzing through the draws. And it does sometimes feel like Simona Halep's grand slam titles come out of nowhere. Um, but But like by every metric you turn to, Simona Halep has been a top 15, borderline top 10 player of all time. Yeah, no, she will finish. I mean, and I agree with you. It, 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 it's weird. She only has two majors. I think there's so many sliding doors moments, whether mm-hmm. the, the the final against Sharapova, obviously against Sostapenko, the semifinal loss to Panetta mm-hmm. uh, at the U.S. Open, which I think was a massive one as well, you know, Australian Open. So, you know, there have been definitely moments for her to get, you know, to break through. And, and, and you know, if, if things flip the other way, we're talking about Simona Halep career grand slam you know, six major titles, you know, uh, a, a handful of games in each one of those matches of yeah. being able to kind of pull something like that off. But um, yeah, I, I just think that one of the other things that I'll, the last thing I'll just say about Halep is I like, I like the comparison of her to Murray. I think that one of the things that is very, I guess at this point, cause we're a few years away from it. So, but it was a very big storyline at the time was that after the Ostapenko loss and then, you know, there was the split with Darren, you know, that kind of came, you know, after she choked a, a lead to Kanta and was acting like a fool uh, during that one, you know, and just her evolution as a person and as a player and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Andy had great success when he was younger. And then there was that one, what is it, like 08, maybe 09 Australian Open where he showed up absolutely ripped, like a dude who just like spent the entire offseason pounding, you know, muscle milk uh, <laughs> and doing and doing squats, deadlifts all day. Um, and just the way that, what Andy did to improve his serve, to improve his forehand, to, you know, do all of that, take care of his weaknesses to chase that thing that was eluding him. Halep did a lot of the same. And she, she, 
you know, there were a lot of times like kind of comparisons between her and Wozniacki back in the day. Ah, oh, pushers, ah, oh, defensive. And Simona, you can't even describe that way anymore. She like you look at her stat sheets at an end of at the end of a match, and her winners unforced are always like in the positive it's it's actually quite impressive and maybe goes against but it's just because when she hits that forehand you're not impressed with it but what you should be impressed with are the four shots she hit to set up that forehand um that's where the magic of halep lies not in the finishing shot but in the build yeah um so yeah no to to your point and this will show you how in tune i am with current cultural things that's why i keep going to seinfeld prices right but i'm pretty sure 2019 was the hot girl summer 2009 was the versa climb summer for andy <laughs> yes. Murray. it was just every time it was climb 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 it climb. was crazy i still remember yeah. i just remember like australian open melbourne he was like practicing with the shirt off and everybody's like excuse me where'd the scrawny guy go that's not andy murray <laughs> um, yeah where's the guy who leaped into the wimbledon crown and almost got blown over by the wind like what <laughs> exactly. are, where you know is? after and during the gas game match flexing his bias up and yeah. everybody was like really though <laughs> are you sure exactly. is it no, are you that I, strong yeah, so i agree you know. well i think simona Halep definitely is that strong and thus you know 23 and 3 it was a really good season for her unfortunate you know 29 year old season um she seems like someone who's going to be fit forever. She seems like someone who's got a lot of good tennis ahead of her, especially because, uh, although then again, it's very predicated on physicality. So who knows? All that being said, your Ben Stiller Award for consistent underrated excellence goes to uh, Simona Halep. Now, with that in mind, I want to do a couple. I, I have two more real awards for you and two more fake ones. Let's start with the most improved award, because to me, this was the most interesting category on the award board. And much like we mentioned, speed dating for player of the year what do you value i think that can apply here for most improved and the nominees for the most improved award and there were so many different players you could turn to all of them in my opinion uh fitting nominees for the season you look overall the winner of this award of course went to iga Sviantek, but your other nominees were jennifer brady fiona farrow own jabour elena rabakina very happy to see rabakina get a shout out in this category would have loved to see an alexandrova shout out as well just because again she was someone week in week out who was so good there were also a bunch of different young players you could throw into this category people who maybe made jumps from outside the top 200 to inside the top 80 you know it really comes down to this in this category this is the speed dating element what do you value in a most improved what is the most difficult jump to make uh before i bias you with my answer courtney i'm curious would you have voted for ega in this one and you know what are the things you looked towards for most improved player for me you know yeah it's a, it's again another litmus test as to what you value um you know i think that the two main i think schools of debate on most improved is is it actually who has improved the most or is it graded on a curve as to what your expectations of that player was going into the year and did this player blow your expectations out of the water in other words did they did she accomplish something that you didn't even think that was capable of you know so in other words you know some and that that's something that you maybe see a little bit well it's specifically in this instance i think jen brady is probably going to be most improved under that metric i'm not sure people thought that she was going to be a grand slam semifinalist this year uh play as well and as consistently as she did throughout the season um and um, yeah i just don't think that jen brady was on anybody's radar of being that dangerous of a player. So I think she surprised people in a massive way. Um, 
but then obviously you're talking about a Sviantec who at 19 years old, it, you know, goes and wins a slam. Like how mm-hmm. can you possibly, when you talk about the quality improvement there, how could you possibly, you know, discount that? For me in this situation, I'd probably go Brady of those two. That's a little bit more kind of how I see it for most improved. Like, did you like Kenan last year? You know, I don't think that people thought that Sonia Kennan was going to be able to to rip off, you know, three, three, four titles and, you know, get a win over Serena, like all of these sorts of things um, at a slam. So that was Kennan for me last year. I think this year, if I were to vote, I would probably go with Brady because just from the from the jump, you know, out grinding, out competing Maria Sharapova, first round Brisbane, turning around absolutely just destroying Ash Barty in Brisbane second round. Um, and also having this great narrative of being a, a young American player who picked up sticks and went to Germany, didn't know anybody, doesn't speak the language, and puts herself in what is objectively an uncomfortable position because she backs herself and her tennis and believes that she's better than what she was and comes, I mean, she showed up. I remember walking past her for the first time in Brisbane and I had to do a double take, you know, of just like, wait, was that Jen Brady? Like she looked so mm-hmm. fit and um, focused and yeah. What an unbelievable season for Jen. Yeah. So, I mean, I think listeners of our podcast will know this. I'm sure you have realized this now. I take my award ballots very seriously because I think they're the most or they're the the easiest way to reflect what happened over the past season. And, you know, that's why we try to add depth here with some make-believe rewards because Naomi Osaka, Simona Halep may not win formal awards, but they're critical players to the 2020 WGA season's narrative. That's why it was so exciting for me to see players like Fiona Farrow, Own Jabour, Elena Rabakina all receive nominations for this award because those are, you know, at the start after Palermo, uh, Fiona Ferro was my favorite to win the French Open. I was like, I think she's going to at least make the final. Like she maybe was unbelievable in Palermo. Yeah, it was she's it was so ridiculous. Yeah, I was just like this. The athleticism we're seeing from Fiona Ferro, it's very Simona Halep-esque. And just the power she can produce on the run as well. The snap of her forehand, her willingness to move forward. I, I'll do a full podcast on Ferro later this offseason. I promise, listeners. Love it. Love it. Uh, but, you know, her... Uh, Elena Rabakina, who this was very first two months of the year centric, although she was still good down the home stretch, but she was so good those first two months of the year. I believe it was back-to-back finals, right, to kick things off. And then I think she lost to, maybe it was Halep, but maybe that was Halep in Dubai. Yeah, Yeah, it was. It was Halep in Dubai. She lost Uh, to Alexandrova in Shenzhen and and then Dubai to Halep. and uh, and yeah, and then still made a final after the break. Anyway, she mm-hmm. lost to Spitalina in, in the, the clay court, uh, right? Yeah, in, the, in, in, in Strasbourg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think Rabakin is in the conversation 100. percent And owns. I mean, owns Jabor and mm-hmm. I'm sorry, my dog Murray, Andy Murray says hello. <laughs> um, but um, owns Jabor and Elena Rabakin are the two players that I just really kind of curse the uh, the pandemic for specifically mm-hmm. because I think that they were they were on they were on their way to, to really, really great things this season. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I absolutely would, would back votes for, for Ons and Rabakina mm-hmm. as well for most. This was the most dynamic category. Yeah, without, this is the most fun conversation. This is the category where there truly are no wrong answers. And to be honest, I think you could throw Kennan in this conversation once again for most improved yeah. because, and this gets to where you start to separate. What are the biggest jumps? What are the most difficult jumps you can make? And to me, 
while Iga Svantec was a far more established presence, 18-year-old, former Junior Slam champion, someone who has always been expected a lot of great things of as she continued to develop as a pro, although, you know, in her expectations, she was ready to go ship off to college if she didn't, you know, things didn't <laughs> yeah. go her way. But, uh, you know, what is the bigger jump? Going from a top 80 player to one of the top 20, top 15, particularly in a time in the WTA when players five through 50 are all, you know, on any given day, flip a coin, that's how the result's going to go. Or is it more impressive to go from one of those top 50 players to make the jump to Grand Slam champion? Is that a bigger improvement? Or even if you are Igish Fiantek and you're in the, you know, in the queue as one of the next greats to finally and formally make that jump. That's the most difficult jump you can ask any player to make. That is the the thing that separates the very good from the all-time greats. And Ika Sviantek has put her name in the history of, you know, in tennis's history by winning a Grand Slam title, by doing it at the age she did, by blitzing through the draw the way she did. I mean, it was it was unexpected and it was unlike things, you know. I, even Osaka's run at the U.S. Open uh, in 2018 felt we were more prepared for that than we were for this Iga Shriantek run to come on clay of all surfaces. And just, I mean, now there, you know, there's no hesitation. She's going to go from, and I think she signed a new sponsorship deal. Maybe she didn't. Maybe she did. Is she still with ASICs? Oh, she's still with ASICs as far as I know. I mean, and I think was she, she's it Prince? Was it the racket switch? I think it's so. the racket that she doesn't have. A, she did not have a racket sponsor. Yeah. She and, played with the Prince racket. But And yeah. as someone who used Prince rackets, I was... I was in awe. I was like, oh my God, we have a chance of resurgence. But you also knew, yeah, that's going to change in the next month. She's going to get a big deal from someone. And it's just the improvement she made, the jump she made, as phenomenal as Jen Brady was. And it just, you know, even down the home stretch, I think she played in Ostrava as well. And just, or I should say, Ostrava, because, you know, exclamation, exclamation. <laughs> exclamation uh, point. Yeah, exactly. Um, as, as, as impressive as that jump was, the the question you ask of any young tennis player is, can you become a Grand Slam champion? Iga Sviantek did. That's why she would get my vote because that jump is the hardest to make. Yeah, I can't argue with that at all. I mean, because mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. It, it's one thing to, to, you know, be a talent, but also I think to, because the counter argument to that is, well, but Alex, it was two weeks. Mm-hmm. She had an outstanding two weeks. Outside of that two weeks, outside of maybe making, you know, third, fourth round Australian Open as well. Um, you know, what did she really do in her season, et cetera, et cetera. But those two weeks, she was put through the ringer mm-hmm. and asked to do so many different things in terms of how to handle that, those seven matches. You know, her first match was against the last year's runner-up, mm-hmm. Marketa Vondrosheva, and she destroyed Vondrosheva, and Vondrosheva acted like a player who had just been destroyed yeah. in her press conference. She just was like, there is absolutely zero I could do today if she plays like that, you know? So she goes and does that quietly and no one's really, I was in her early press conferences in Paris. Nobody's really paying attention to her. It was me and a bunch of polls. Um, then comes the, the, the Hallett match. And to there, the narrative starts to, starts to gel. She plays match of her life as close damn near to perfection as she did then she becomes this overwhelming favorite she was like the bookmaker's favorite to win the title like almost immediately um and then she has to be the overwhelming uh, favorite against trevisan against podoroska and handle that and then you're playing a reigning major champion you know and you're Mm -hmm. kind of the favorite but you're also not the one that has the experience. Like there's a lot going on in that little run, you know, as opposed to like a true underdog that just is an underdog the whole way through, like an Ostapenko. Ostapenko was never the favorite 
in like all seven of her matches en route to, you know, there. Um, and uh, and Sviantek had to go from being unknown to underdog to favorite to underdog again, it, yeah. you know, and manage all that. So to do that is pretty darn impressive, 100%. She was incredible. I mean, you're right. It was only two weeks. I mean, for Jen Brady, it really started with the world team tennis. It actually really started at the beginning of the year. You could tell right away just her off season in Germany, whatever the Germans are doing, it always has that German efficiency. It seems to work. And so uh, she certainly is my 1B here. And if she would have won the award, there would have been no qualms for me. Uh, the jump she took, again, you, you can't deny it. But, uh, you know, for Iga Sviantek, she needed to win some sort of award. Uh, I'm glad she got this one because, to me, most improved. The other serious award I want to name here, down the home stretch is the uh, newcomer of the year award. And of course, uh, you know, we had a lot of outstanding performances from newcomers. One could argue, you know, unless you follow the game closely, Jennifer Brady was a newcomer to you, but of course the nominees here for this category. And I believe this category is qualified as someone who's outside the top 200 and gets inside the top 150 for the first time or top 100, whatever it may be. Uh, I think but, it's top 100, but I could yeah. be wrong. Um, no, please, insider, never wrong. Uh, we'll take your word for it. And if anything, they're wrong because that's how they should be doing it moving forward. Um, but you, your Newcomer of the Year nominees were Nadia Podoroska, uh, Martin Trevisan, as you mentioned, Layla Fernandez, and American Ann Lee. This is the first award recipient I disagree with. Uh, the winner of this award was Nadia Podoroska. Before I give my take, who do you have as your Newcomer of the Year? Uh, for me, it was Layla Fernandez. I um, agree. Of, I knew it. I knew <laughs> it. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> um, you know, just in terms of just, um, and again, a lot of this just has to do with expectations. It's very obviously mm -hmm. subjective. I had seen Layla, Layla play in 2019, a little bit maybe in 2018 as well. I just thought that she was a bit undersized. Mm -hmm. I know that Canada was very excited about her, but Canada tends to get very excited about any of their prospects. Things. So I, I don't <laughs> use that as the litmus test. Um, you know, their, their hype machine is, <laughs> is well-oiled um, and it runs, it runs hot. Um, so, yeah, so I was a little bit cautious about what I thought Layla Fernandez could do at the, at the, the, at the pro level. And I just was incredibly impressed with her week in, week out this year. Um, you know, that stretch through Mexico was amazing. Her run in, in, in Acapulco and then Monterrey, I guess. Uh, she followed it up pretty well. And then at the French Open, I was just, I, I love her mentality. I love her work ethic. Um, and she began to, at least for me, shake my concerns that maybe she was underpowered or too small to kind of run run with the big dogs, you know? Um, so in that way, I, I felt like my expectations, again, um, we kind of grade on this weird curve, but my expectations were really shattered by what she was able to do. Podoroska, it's not a knock against her. It's just that, to be quite frank, I don't know if I had expectations of a Nadia Podoroska. I don't have a baseline benchmark to compare what I thought about Podoroska in January to what I thought about her at the end of the year. Um, but obviously, an, an incredible season, especially what she was able to do both on the ITF circuit um, and then through just, yeah, just, I mean, all she did was win once the pandemic, um, you know, uh, once the shutdown lifted. So yeah, I, 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 I would lean towards Fernandez. I'm curious to hear your rationale there. 
Yeah, to the Puderoska point, it's not that she's not a worthy winner. 36-6, and six, I think, or maybe it was 43-6 and six on the year overall, something crazy like that. Countless ITF titles. I mean, she blitzed her way uh, all the way into the top 50, right? And she makes that semifinal at the French Open. Just her level of play on the clay all season long, it's – Elite is a word that's thrown around too too easily, but it's up there. I mean, her ability to win on the surface, her ability, she's someone who, again, slides into her shots, not out of them, and there's just this comfort level for her. You can tell uh, she's going to have a long career. And by the way, only 23 years old, so a little bit behind the growth curve of maybe some of those players who quickly jump into the top 15, top 10, but certainly very impressive. Why it's got to be Layla Fernandez. It's this sort of blends into the most improved argument as well. As you mentioned, you know, she's a former junior slam champion. She is someone who the hype machine has been well tuned up for, for a while. And I just don't think anyone was expecting that to happen this season. And the way she came out at the beginning of the year, that final she made in Acapulco, I thought she was going to win the match against Heather Watson. The way she came out, the way she kept fighting, just the adjustments she can make, her athleticism. I mean, watching her swing in a forehand, you're just like, okay, this girl gets every ounce of her being behind this ball. It's just, it's really impressive. And then she's got this comfort level of moving forward. She hits these swinging volleys that you're just like, oh, you grew up in Canada. You played indoor tennis for <laughs> Three months of the year you were forced to learn this skill and it's just it's a different skill set there's so much to be excited about and with all due respect to Nadia Podoroska it's not that we aren't going to be thinking about her moving forward it's that Layla Fernandez this season was her introduction to the broader tennis community it's like hey here's this 17 year old I'm here I'm here to stay and I'm going to do it over the course of 12 months during the season. Paderowska was really good, uh, particularly once the restart started. But, you know, it's Fernandez. She she has this incredible end of January, early February. Then the entire six months, it's, oh, did you watch Layla Fernandez? She's someone to circle. And then she does it again once play restarts. It's just, to me, that's the newcomer of the year. She's the player, when I think back to 2020, who is the player I learned about that season that was most relevant to tennis's future and it's Layla Fernandez because she established herself as someone to certainly watch these next five, 10, hopefully 15 years. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about these um, these awards very similar to kind of how I feel about the Oscars or um, I, I'm a I'm a gamer. So the game awards or things like that, where it's not about and this is where I get into arguments or why I try not to like engage with when fans get mad at me or what try to engage with me on on Twitter sure. about I stuff. Yeah, I don't engage. And the reason why is because the way that I conceptualize these awards, it's not about the actual award. Mm-hmm. We're, not, we're not saying exactly this is the best player of 2020. This is the absolute most improved. This is this or this or that. It's about, um, again, a reflection of what you value. That's that's how your vote goes, right? It's it's So it's not this objective metric. And so when people are like, well, but this player did this, this, and that... Okay, sure. What if I were to tell you that a bunch of the stats that you just cited back to me are not ones that I value more than XYZ, you know? And and so it becomes about that. And that's where I think, you know, when we talk about most improved or newcomer, you know, there is a little bit of that subjective of like you want these awards to matter down the road. You want to be able to say, like we were able to say this year, Sonia Kennan won newcomer won most improved last year. And a few months later, she wins her first slam at the Australian Open. Like, we love a freaking narrative, man. Love Mm -hmm. it to death. And and so that's what you want to see. So I feel like, you know, 
yeah, a little bit of, 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 of leaning towards Layla is a little bit of the idea that like, I feel like this is going to be an award that we point back to in a few years or maybe next year, who knows, of saying Layla Fernandez once won most improved. And there's a, there's, there's a narrative there. Whereas with Podoroska, she's 23, which isn't old at all. Um, it's, but it's not 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and yeah, I, I just, I felt that, yeah, maybe it's a little bit of kind of why I didn't, I wouldn't have voted newcomer or uh, most improved for Sviantec. It's kind of the same thing with Podoroska. Like, I, yeah, I, I just kind of feel like it was maybe a little bit more of like a, a tight time frame, especially with Podoros, because she got a lot of those wins. Was it against top competition? Hard to say, because a lot of it was on a different level. So, whereas with Layla, she was, she was racking up good wins. She was she racking up good Svitolina, wins. She beat Svitolina, right, yeah. in Acapulco. And that, is, that ain't that small. Is, yeah, absolutely. And regardless of Svitolina's beginning to this 2020 season, that was a huge moment. And, yeah, I, I agree with you. I want there to be uh, a historical value to each and every year's award. That's why, you know, when you think about 2020, thus far award winners, Kennan, uh, you know, Sviantec, and now, Layla Fernandez those are three players that will jump out to you when you look back at this season so I agree I think those all tell the awards now you know there were some other real awards as well coach of the year service member of the year and I love that they gave it to the entire WTA player council I just you look at the mismanagement is the kind term of saying clusterfuck's probably the most appropriate uh, that's gone on on the ATP side. And certainly, uh, you know, by comparison, the WTA has looked like a Fortune 500 top company. You're <laughs> like, wow, the smoothness this is all running with, at least from the outside. Again, you're the WTA. Yeah, no, yeah you, you can tell it, me if I'm wrong. But I, I liked that award as a Ranka winning comeback player of the year. I think that's just that had yeah. to be the award. And then I think it was Fiontech's coach who won coach of the year, if memory serves yep. me correctly. I mean, your Peter thoughts Shushman. on yeah on the final real awards yeah no i i thought that i thought it was great they rounded out really well i think that it was really cool to see first of all shirsh patovsky win coach of the year because that is voted by his peers that's voted on by by fellow coaches and so that matters you know i don't know if a lot of people know Piotr, you know, um, you know, coming out of the French Open, probably people knew uh, Daria Abramovitz more, uh, Sviantec's uh, uh, sports psychologist. So for his, for his, the fellow coaches to kind of back him, I think was was really really cool. And he's been with Iga since she was a junior. So, and he's quite young as well. So it's it's a cool dynamic there. So that was really neat. And then yeah, with um, the WTA Player Council getting um, the uh, uh, Player Service Award, that's voted on by the players. So it was kind of funny when the announcement went out like on social media and I was kind of following it a little bit. And there was a lot of kind of crit- like weird fan criticism about it of like, oh my God, like, what is this? And it's like, well, first of all, we didn't give it to them. Like, this isn't like a PR thing, you know? Um, it, is, it, is, it is fan voted, but also there was a part of me that also kind of, you know, wanted so badly to just say like, just because our screenshots and confidential emails are not being leaked left and right by every player <laughs> yeah. um, left and right and that people aren't complaining and that, our goings on behind the scenes are not the subject of public consumption does not mean work is not being done. And definitely as somebody on the inside who's privy to a lot of that stuff, it has been, and and this isn't to say that we worked any harder than anybody else or whatever, but just it's, it's incredible to me, the amount of work that went in um, 
just 24 seven, just even, you know, how do you accelerate and put together COVID protocols? How do you yeah. put, throw together events? You know, how do you make sure that, that everybody who, everyone has different interests and self-interests and all these sorts of things remain not super happy, but happy enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's, that's the, that's the, the struggle in tennis is that everybody wants to be super happy. Never going to happen. The best that you can do is to make sure that your stakeholders are happy enough, um, you know, and satisfied with what they get. So, um, you know, that's great. Marie Buzkova um, winning the sportsmanship award, keeping it within the checks and she's lovely. So, and Vika, I mean, you know, we, Ben and I recorded the Remember When episode, Friend CR, a few days ago. And it was kind of like, hey, remember when Vika hadn't won a match in 12 months? <laughs> yeah. Because it's remember really she, hard to remember. Yeah. Remember when she <laughs> lost not well in Lexington and yeah. didn't look good at all? Yeah, I remember. I remember. I mean, I remember. I don't, I don't think that there is any person who, you know, writes or talks or whatever opines about tennis that didn't somewhere in their head the last two or three years right off Victoria Azarenka mm -hmm. there was every reason to do so because she did not win a match for 12 months mm -hmm. um and the losses were ugly and they were bad and there was clearly a lot of struggle and emotion that she was dealing with and you just didn't know if life was going to settle for her to to be able to do stuff and all credit and I mean, all credit to her, all credit to her to just kind of owning up and really taking a very honest look at her life and, and, and her ambition as well, which I think is important. I think that what I love about Vika too, winning comeback and stuff is kind of how much she doesn't push back. That's overstating it, mm -hmm. but kind of how much she's like, I'm more than a mom. Mm -hmm. Like not everything that I do and every success that I have is because I have a child. Like I am Victoria Azarenka, two-time major champion, former world number one. Like at one point this tour, like. Bowed down to me. Yeah. yeah. I owned it. Like, yeah. so yeah, I have ambitions. And yeah. so now, you know, like I believe I'm, I'm capable of great things. And so I appreciate that Vika's stubbornness, which maybe in the past was, was kind of a, a pain in the ass. <laughs> sometimes. Um, that it, it, it ended up being weaponized for good. Uh, yeah. And she's just, so I'm looking forward to seeing what she does in 2021. That's for darn sure. Yeah. Now, uh, two things on that. One, here on this podcast, we opine with the best of them. Let me just tell you, <laughs> we are fond of opining whenever possible. Part number two. Yeah, I think Lucas Lacko becoming the Bob Woodward of the ATP Tour was the development we all needed this <laughs> season. I think that's exactly the pivot we saw from him. Hey. Bless him. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, journalists are like, please don't stop. But yeah. at the same time, kind of weird. Like, it's like, <laughs> hey, can you text that to me first and then yeah, I'll exactly. break it and I'll say it came from you? Uh, or like, is there something we can do here? I'll throw you a comment, a retweet, whatever. Yeah, I, it's, I mean, I agree. The work behind the scenes for WTA, they, they've been on their game. And I think you even saw that in the rollout of the WTA brand new marketing campaign, right? Which will have to be a topic we cover a different time. But I mean, the fact that every player within the first two hours, three hours, the tweet was out, they had their video posted, they're in on, you know, the new marketing campaign that that just requires a degree of coordination that, yeah, the ATP sort of pulled off, sort of, but like not exactly. And it's just, it's a credit to uh, the WTA Player Council who deserve to be acknowledged, as you mentioned, for COVID protocols, keeping everyone just happy enough. And then, yes, to your point, Vika, 
stud. Deserves it. No questions about that. Yes. Um, all right. Last two make-believe awards for you. We're going to start with the lesser funny of the two first because I just think it's, you know, I want to end with a bang. Uh, and that award goes to the LOL Remember When These Players Retired This Year Award because it's crazy <laughs> to think that, like, a full pandemic has passed since we've seen Caroline Wozniacki or Maria Sharapova retire. And it's just like – I mean, love or hate Sharapova for whatever, the off-court stuff. I don't think anyone dislikes Caroline Wozniacki. And it's just both of these players deserved more proper send-offs than they got in 2020. That's why I wanted to give them an award because, I mean, again, I'm, I'm 25 years old. For as long as I've been watching tennis, I've been watching these two players. And it's just yeah. it's great. These are the first two that have retired that make me think, oh, man, like, am I getting – like, what's going on? I'm, I might really be off my parents' health care soon. yes the uh the obamacare award um (laughs) i mean i think with waz i feel probably a bit more for waz than i do for for maria only because i think maria got the rollout that she wanted she got her you know she she gave the story to vogue and vanity fair she was never going to be somebody who announced and then went on a worldwide trolls trolls tour like you know like she was just like "Eh, i'm done like i'm out and she seems happy and it's all good. I think with Wozniacki, one of the things that I was reminded of going back and piecing together the 2020 season was that she bowed out on. So day five of the Australian Open was absolute dramatics. Um, and the reason why, and I hadn't remembered this, but the reason why I did remember it is because I posted my, I had been keeping a coffee a coffee tally during the um the australian open basically for every cup of coffee i wrote it down and at the end of the tournament i would give 10 bucks to to um bushfire relief um for every cup that i drank and i posted the thing on twitter like last week and somebody was like oh my god what the hell happened on day five because apparently (laughs) like the, the tally list was like super long and i was like i don't know what happened on day five so then i looked it up i googled it was like day five australian open was loses to Ons jabor in three sets the next match, Wang Shang defeats Serena Williams on labor. <laughs> the next match, Coco Goff defeats Naomi Osaka uh, <laughs> in straight sets in a blink of an eye. And then the nightcap on labor was Milman Federer. Yeah. I was like, no what a day. What a day. So like, so you start, right? And we obviously, Caroline had said it was her last tournament. We knew about this and all that. But like, so you're watching that match and it's a three-setter. So you don't know which way it's going. But you know that depending on which way that goes, if it's either a huge news day, because now you got to roll out all of your Wozniacki retirement content, or you hold it for another two days. So she, it happens. She, you know, it happens. She has her whole thing on the court. It's very sweet. Her father comes down, lifts her up, you know, very sweet moment. So you're writing that up and Caroline's coming in to do her final press conference. And then all of a sudden you look up at the scoreboard and you're like, I'm sorry, what is that scoreline with Wong Shang and Serena? And you're like, shit, like Serena might go out. And Serena had just won Auckland. She was looking really good for the, for number 24 potentially. So you're like, Oh no. And so then that's happening and then you're like oh what do we do and then osaka it just was like boom 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 it was a big day so in that way i felt really bad for caroline because i felt like you know the way that she kind of had to end her career was was diluted mm-hmm. by what happened that day in terms of the news so i definitely felt that bad bad about that but it it is wild because it does feel like a lifetime ago mm-hmm. that i saw either of those two players swing a tennis racket mm-hmm. 
I do think we'll see both of them swing a racket again in some sort of exhibition tournament in some sort of thing. They're just going to be around the game. But yeah, I, I completely agree with you for every reason you stated. It's just Caroline Wozniacki, uh, you know, you want to talk about, well, there's no alpha to challenge Serena Williams. Perhaps the player who epitomizes this generation is Caroline Wozniacki, who was really good for a really long time, reached number one without having won a grand slam. And then, of course, she got her crowning moment when she beats Simona Halep in that 2018 Australian Open final. Incredible what that does for, you know, the often used word narrative of her career. Uh, yeah, it would have it would have been really, really nice to see her uh, retire, uh, just retire in style, kind of get the send off she deserved at the same time, you could just tell physically she was ready, that this was her time to yeah. go. And so, of course, happy both of these players could go off on their own terms. Um, all right, my last, well, I had two more awards for you. This wasn't really an award. I just, and this is going to be very revealing again unfortunately i'm cursed with a brain that i remember the shows i watched with my parents growing up and so i wanted to throw in the tossin's creek award for clara tossin just in honor of oh. you know tossin's creek uh, obviously dawson's creek the Love TV it. show but i i don't really have anything to nominate clara tossin for other than just having an outstanding name hey. for pun purposes and a hell of a match that 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 one again in the nine French seven. Open against Jen Brady nine seven in the third and again a player that 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 we have our eyes on um, one of our our good friends Trolls uh, Christensen who is the kind of primary Danish reporter has been on the Waz beat obviously for a decade <laughs> yeah. and I always felt bad for for Trolls because he was <laughs> I still remember I think it was one year Australian Open he flew in landed the night before day one Waz played like first match day one lost. Mm-hmm. And Trolls was like, and I got to go back to now. Like mm-hmm. it was like truly just a was beat, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and so as her career has kind of been winding down, it was like, oh man, are we going to see you? And he's like, well, there's this kid. Yeah. I mean, she's pretty good, you know, this, this Clara Tossin. So uh-huh. I'm hoping just because I like, I like Trolls, I, I, I want to see him at slams again. So I'm hoping that Clara does good uh, yeah. and justifies that, uh, that business expense. But, uh, but another, another young talent, I mean, mm-hmm. it's a big ball. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm hoping to see all of us at Slams again someday. I agree. Him amongst it as well. And Dare to dream. There's Dare a dream. WTA media campaign surrounding Tossin's Creek, and you put some face juxtaposes on, you know, the opening credits, and we'll figure it out. That's I it. don't want to wait. Yeah. <laughs> it's me. a working Seen title. Every. Yeah, it's a, it's a working every, every app. Yeah, I, <laughs> to be honest, do I remember the specifics? No. I, I remember Dawson. I remember Katie Holmes's character. Um, I remember the Joey. other guy who was supposed Pacey. to be, yeah, that Pacey, that's what it was. And then I remember yep. there were the brother and sister. Yep. Michelle Williams. Yes. And Jack. Yeah. yeah. And ja- I was going to say, I remember a Jack. I don't remember. I just remember a Jack existing. Anyways, that there's a little Dawson's Creek for all of you. The final award. And again, getting back to my roots here, big Black Eyed Peas fan growing up. The no, no drama. No, 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 no <laughs> drama award has to go to Diana Yastremska who I just, I don't think we can put a bow on the 2020 season until we spend, you know, just two to three minutes on Diana Yastremska, who 19, 20 years old, the talent jumps off the screen. You watch her when she's clicking the forehand, the backhand, the serve, the overwhelming power, the athleticism. You're just like, holy crap, this girl might, you know, this woman, young woman might hit the ball harder than any other player on tour. And 
then you watch the downsides, which so often occur in the same match as the upsides. And you're just like, oh, you're really going to be up another set, another break, and you're going to not serve out this match or you're going to lose this tie break. And, you know, there's the coaching situation with Sasha Bajin. There's the Twitter, the social media conundrums here in, you know, week in, week out. All that being said, I mean, she's still one of the talents of her age group. And so, I mean, I don't know. Your thoughts on the no, no drama, no, 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 no drama award. <laughs> the only thing is that I, we, we recorded the NCR, the Remember When. I'm, I, it wasn't until last night I was literally lying in bed staring at the ceiling and I was like, oh my gosh, we never mentioned Madison Brinkle's wine celebration. <laughs> like I was like, I, I remembered it like so suddenly. I was like, oh, I can't believe it. That was so, that was an amazing, like, uh, uh, Madison Brangle. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think that Yastrzemska for a lot of fans, um, you know, she has, she has big Penko energy, you know, she, you know, it's kind of a similar thing. You know what she's capable of and you know that you don't want her to play her. You never want to see Yastrzemska in your section of the draw, especially early rounds um when she's playing well but we also know and again this goes all the way back to our our earlier discussion about about Simona you also know that like it the way that that level of red line tennis as of right now it's not replicable so day in day out and so what do we value at the end of the day right do we value you know you can peak and when you peak it's glorious and we'll put up with you know, the 40 unforced errors and the 13 double faults and all that sort of stuff. And we almost ignore that because the peak is so beautiful, uh-huh. right? Or do we say, actually, <laughs> you know, you look at a player like Pliskova, you look at a player like Kavitova, like Osaka, you know, players who are trying so hard, who have that peak, who over time have built in, have raised their, 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 their base, uh-huh. Right, like a shitty day for Pliskova is still like a four and four and five win. Yeah, and she's mad about it, but it looked actually kind of clinical. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and and Petra can now win on every surface. Um, you know, they they became over time not one note, but you have to. And similar to Simona, she went from being a grinder to being a much more aggressive player over time. So I think with Yastremska, she is so young. The question is, over time, can she kind of settle it all down? Um, and I know obviously that that's what Sasha was trying to work with her on was kind of trying to do to her what he was able to do with Naomi of like, don't just rip the ball, like construct a point, know that you can physically hang in longer, work more short angles, open up the court, build. But one of the big, one of the big problems is that Yastrzemska doesn't have Osaka serve mm-hmm. on the ground. The power might be there on both sides and maybe over time, physically and speed wise, she might be able to match strength, but she doesn't have the serve. And not that it's a puff, but it's just not as good. That's the missing piece to her game plan. It's got to be set up by the serve to get her into those big ground strokes. Otherwise, she has to find the off speed. And by the way, midway through your answer, all I could think is, I'm pretty sure Sasha Bajin is the pacey of the WTA. Like, I feel like that's a pretty good comparison. Uh, Interesting. I'll have to get your explanation of that one offline because... Pacey, Pacey is like a certain, he's a, he's like a, he's Wasn't a. Wasn't he the bad boy? 
He was, but then he wasn't. Uh, and Sasha's Sasha not Rashid. a bad boy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, say, Sasha's not a bad boy. It's kind of why it fits perfectly. It's like he behind those, guy. Yeah, yeah, behind those delts and you know shoulders is actually a sweetheart. And so uh, okay, yeah. you know what? If that's if that's how you, although Pacey was never ripped, but yes, yeah. I see, I see, I see now the connection you're trying to make. I also my knowledge of Pacey's redeeming qualities is minimal. Like I'll be honest here, uh, but I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it as well. No, I I think you nailed it. Like completely agree with you diana yastrzemska there's just too much talent she can do too many things too well that that top gear that a game when it works it works and and, and to be fair with yastrzemska despite me making the the ostapenko comparison yastrzemska mm-hmm. wins titles yeah she she has proven that she can actually replicate her tennis mm-hmm. over a four match five match span you know so it's not that she's that far off and maybe she's a little bit ahead of uh, ahead of schedule but um it's it's hard to ignore that talent mm-hmm. i mean she's she's i mean that ball striking is legit yeah no absolutely she's still someone i will have circled heading into 2021 because it's i'm just too fascinated by all of it uh to not be intrigued but that's our i thought show. she was going to have a really big 2020 sorry about yeah. that but no, yeah no, no, i thought no, she was no, going to no, have please. a really big 2020 i agree with uh, you no so. i had her so ben makes fun of me i had him on the pod for the most interesting uh women heading into the u.s open or just the three weeks in new york and my players were i mean i cheated like crazy because i said name three and i probably named 16 um i love I was, it that's my plan yeah, that's what I, do. I do it every time. And I was like, well, Sabalenka. And I was like, you can pick any of the Mertens, uh, Sakari, Conteve, uh, Vekic, 24-year-old mm. smorgasbord, and we can pick one of them. And then Diana Yastrzemska, because she is always the most fascinating player in the draw to me, because if it works that week, she's going to win. If it doesn't work that week, who knows how it's going to go. And I think all of that applies heading into 2021. But yeah, that, that I think will do it for our 2020 WTA award show. I think we covered everything, Courtney. Am I missing any? Are there any other things from 2020 we haven't discussed that I'm missing? Uh, not as far as I know, but I, I make this promise to you. If you think of any, I will be at your disposal to to be on a, uh, a secondary backup pod uh, for 2020. But no, I think that, that that rounded it out. I think that at the end of the day, you know, I think somebody was um, tweeting about like the the Oscars and they were like, you know, they listed all of the Oscar winners of the last, not in, not this year, Parasite won this year, but of the last, you know, 10 years before that. And people, and was just like, if somebody said these were their favorite movies, what would you think? And everybody was just like, God, the Oscars just get it so wrong all the time. <laughs> it is truly stunning. I mean, King's Speech over the social network? What are we talking about here, people? <laughs> again, um, The Dark Knight. I'll say it again. How it yeah. didn't win. It was the best movie of that it year. It was the best movie of that year. No, I know. There's, there's just so many. Um, and so, ideally, at the end of the day, when you look at the, back on the awards, you want to be able to see and to capture the snapshot of that season. And I feel like the players that we identified, unfortunately, even more players, you know, kind of made up the tapestry of the season. Again, I think Brady, Jabour, um, Rabakina are probably the three standout players that maybe we didn't mention that really were, were, were integral to this season. Um, but, you know, that, that slate of players, um, that was 2020, which was a weird year. 
which is why when you look at that combination, like this list that has Kenan, Sviantec, Podoroska, Azarenka, like yeah. the WTA Players Council, Marie Buzkova, like yeah. it's it's a little, it's a little, it's a little smorgasbordy, yeah. like you know, it's an no. interesting cheese platter. You look at you went. This went exactly as expected. <laughs> exactly. You're like that's exactly how I saw this season go. Exactly. This is perfect. This is no. the bingo card. Yeah. yeah. Well, in terms of my personal bingo card, as you know, you were the B, the I, the N, the G. Uh, I still have the O out there, Roger if you want to come on the podcast always a spot actually the true thing is the o is the andy murray if andy murray ever comes on the oh. show we're done after that unfortunately uh but you know outside of just him literally just him courtney you were one b and so seriously to have you on this podcast uh it, it means the world to me for our tennis fans you know again i would not be hosting a show i would not be the tennis fan that i am i would not be nearly as well informed nearly you know some of the stupid things i used to have those beaten out of me uh if i didn't follow all of your work over the years so ser- sincerely on behalf of all of us tennis fans thank you for all that you do for any of our listeners out there who want to follow your work this off season what can they expect or you know hope from you uh, yeah, no, I mean, we're starting to ramp up for uh, off-season and preseason content. Um, I just talked to Iga Svantec, um from Spain yesterday. I'm supposed to talk to our good friend Nadia Podoroska today, uh, Peter Shershpatovsky. So a lot of the award winners, the official award winners, Sonia Kennan, um, we'll get them on the horn um, for that. But for 2021, you know, it's going to be a challenging season. It's going to take a lot of flexibility from a lot of people. It's going to be a lot of you know, still dealing with obviously everything that's going on in the world um, pandemic wise. But thankfully, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully things will, you know, at this time next year, be as close to back to normal as as we could possibly hope. Um, but until then, you know, everybody hang with tennis. Like they're doing their best. They're trying their best. I know that, you know, it's not always what people think and people, I don't know, the conspiracy theorists seem to... <laughs> have come out in force during the pandemic as to why certain things are happening and certain things are not. I assure you everyone is working incredibly hard to, to deliver a product that, um, yeah, that we can, that we can deliver because any, any product that you can deliver right now is, is a boon. So, um, but yeah, but thank you everyone. Thank you, Alex. You've been incredibly kind. It's been very fun talking with you. What I look forward to very much because one of the things that I really enjoy when, when during normal times traveling is that, you know, grabbing dinner with people in the press room, meeting people who are not in the press room, who are like there as fans who text me and, or DM me and be like, hey, can we meet outside, you know? And I always really love doing that. And so I very much look forward to hopefully within the next 12 months, if not, you know, even sooner to, to grab in a beer with you at some dive wow. bar uh, at an event uh, and, uh, and continuing with these, these sorts of questions. Because I love talking about this stuff. Uh, it's much more suited long form than in a, a 280. <laughs> 80 word tweet um so i try not to i try to avoid too much of the discourse tennis discourse on the twitter but uh, but yeah but this has been really really fun and uh, thank you for your kind words oh i'm having westoff edit all of that out i want the conspiracy theories full on (laughs) and i don't want to hear any flattery of me come on oh no i uh, of course feelings are mutual i look forward to being at the road we'll go me you to my knee ream and then I don't know any places that allow five people at indoor dining right now. So I guess we're just going to have true. to cut that one other guy who, you yeah. know, we might be, yeah, he knows, he knows, he knows. He knows. he's got to work. He doesn't need that. it. Yeah, he doesn't need it. <laughs> exactly. Well, Courtney, thank you so much as always for taking the time. I hope you stay safe, stay healthy. And we look forward to following your all, all of your work, both throughout the rest of this off season and of course into 2021 and beyond. 
Thank you very much, Alex. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays to everybody else. Uh, or Hanukkah as well. But uh, but yeah, it's been a blast. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you on the flip. Yeah, of course. Take care. A huge shout out to our wonderful guest, Courtney Nguyen, for taking the time to chat with us. I said it at the top. I'll say it again. It was well worth a wait. That was such a fun podcast to record. And, you know, hopefully you all enjoyed it as much as I did. Hopefully uh, we can use this podcast to guilt Courtney into coming back on the show in the future. But again, a huge thank you to her for not only coming on the show, but all she does to shine a light on the women's game without her coverage. Seriously, I probably would not be doing this. So she knows she has a spot of available on the show anytime and of course oh we also still have some w uh, we gave out our wta awards i should say we still have some atp awards to give out and you all needn't worry i have already recorded that award show should be out either thursday or friday so i suppose that's our crack rackets christmas gift to all of you listeners out there now gil gross is going to be joining me on that show very similar format to this one we switch up the awards just to you know keep things creative keep things uh, keep all of you listeners guessing but be on the lookout for that show later in the week. And then, of course, we've still got a a ton of things going on here at Cracked Rackets to help try and prepare all of you listeners for the action in 2021. We've got our next-gen ATP 2.0 series going on. David Gertler, our new contributor, and I writing every Wednesday about a different 21 and under ATP prospect uh, currently rising up the rankings thus far. We've talked about Yuri Rodionov, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, Lorenzo Musetti. This week, we talk about Emil so all of you can look for that on Wednesday's mini break and the article on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, in the college tennis world, we've got our College Contenders Series where we break down our top 11 men's teams heading into this 2021 season. We have been joined thus far by the head coaches for all the teams ranked 11 through 5. Last week, it was USC head coach Brett Macy joining the Cracked Interviews podcast. If you have not, go check that one out. That was certainly one of the most fun episodes we have done here during 2020, so be on the lookout for that podcast and all of our College Contenders content, which you can find on this Great Shot podcast feed, on our Cracked Interviews feed, and of course, you can read Matt's breakdown on the website, uh, CrackedRackets.com, weekly review preview. You know Judson Wall supplying that. He joined me on Monday's mini break, and you can read his article on the website. And again, all of that content, if you've missed any of it, you can find at the website, CrackedRackets.com, all the podcasts, this one, the mini break podcast, Cracked Interviews inside out the sideline you can like rate subscribe review listen to them wherever you prefer to listen to your podcast apple spotify stitcher whatever it may be of course if you need those immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at cracked rackets you want to message me directly i am at great shot pod shout out as always to our super producers max flickner and daniel westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out shout out of course as well to our friends at DraftKings, who we know are certainly looking forward to the beginning of the 2021 season. There's still plenty of other sporting action to get in on, but if you want to get in, maybe it's the ITFs. You can still get in on that action with our friends at DraftKings. Maybe you want to pick on a football Sunday. Maybe you want to hit some over-unders in the NBA. With that season starting on Christmas, you can get in on all of the action with our friends at DraftKings by going to dkng.co slash cracked open. But with that in mind, for our fantastic guest Courtney Nguyen, our friends at DraftKings, our super producers Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, 
Hey, great shot. And we will see you all for our ATP award show on Thursday. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.